Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I'm so honored to be connecting with so many great people with amazing adoption stories. People who are willing to really talk to me honestly about the joy and challenges of adoption and to come on the show and to share their story with an open heart. And we've gotten so many great responses from people who are saying, thank you for sharing that story. That helped me on the journey or that helped me right now because I just brought home a child and I'm struggling. And so I just want to say, keep those applications coming. And also, if you have feedback, you can email me anytime at april at adoption-now.com. Well, we're thrilled today because we are expanding internationally. We have our first application from Canada. Andra joins the show. Andra, thank you for being here. Not a problem. I'm happy to be here. I can't wait to hear your story. But first, how did you hear about us? I was actually had a long commute to work and I was looking for a podcast to listen to. And I went on iTunes and just searched adoption. And the first hit was adoption now. And I started listening to the podcast on the way to work. What was your first story that you connected to? Actually, the first story I listened to was the two brothers from Denver, one with uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Oh, yes. And I connected with that immediately because our adopted daughter, Karina, has FASD. So right away to hear about somebody who's successful as an adult with FASD was huge to me. It was so great to have an adoptee come on and say, these are the things I struggled with. But now look at me. I'm married. Mm -hmm. We're musicians. I mean, it's really amazing and really encourages people on the other end. I love when adoptees come on and and they really share their stories and and we learn what we should be doing as adoptive parents and what we should not be doing. So I'm so glad that you connected with that story. Let's talk about your story. How did you Mm -hmm. start the adoption process? I know you have two biological sons, correct? Yes. So before we even got married, we had talked about having kids. I'd always wanted a little girl from the time I was small. We have a lot of boys in our family. And so it's a little selfish piece of me. And so we had decided that if we had two boys back to back, that we would not roll the dice on number three and we would adopt a girl. So that was always our plan. And we had two boys naturally. So we decided that we we're going to move forward with pursuing adopting a little girl. Originally, we had planned to adopt a girl through China. And we started looking into that when our youngest was about three. And we went to a lot of information sections, contacted agencies. Um, I spoke with other adoptive parents from China. And going to these information sessions, there was a lot of people who struggled with infertility And being that my husband was born in um, Hong Kong, so he's of Chinese heritage, they tend to expedite their adoptions. So I really felt that it wasn't the right place for us because I didn't want to take away the chance for somebody who hadn't had a baby, take away that chance for them to get a baby. Because most of the kids at that time in China were being placed, were around the age of nine months. And I didn't feel the need that I had to do a baby again. So we kind of put adoption on hold for a little while because China just wasn't the right avenue for us, we felt. That's really nice of you. (laughs) Well, it's different because I said, as soon as we left, I said, 
it doesn't feel right because I don't want to take away those couples chance to have a baby. Wow. Because I said I could have another baby myself, which I didn't necessarily want to do, but I didn't feel the need to have another baby per se. Isn't it interesting when you go to a meeting and you know right away either, yes, we're going to pursue this or uh, I don't think this is for us. Yeah. I mean, it's good to go to the meeting so that you can find that out. But it's just Mm -hmm. interesting how many families know right away, this is not for us or yes, let's continue forward. And so you knew Right. right away. Yeah, we knew right away that that wasn't the avenue we wanted to pursue. So what we ended up doing was a few years passed and um, actually a friend of my father's, she ended up fostering her niece because her niece was a teenage mother and children's aid society, which is what foster care is called here in Ontario. They were going to take the baby away from her. And so my dad's friend stepped in and said, you know, I'll take the baby. So she ended up eventually adopting that child and another subsequent niece. And that really opened our eyes and went, oh my gosh, there's kids right here that need homes. And that's when we started looking into fostering and or adopting through the foster care system. So many questions about that because I want to know if it's the same as the United States or different. Do you go through a social worker? Do you get a home study? What does that process look like? So the process here is you register with your local children's aid society. So we live in the region of Peel. So Peel region has a children's aid society. So we reached out to them. They have you go to an information session to learn about fostering and or adopting through them. At that point, they give you an application package, which is huge. So you fill in every possible bit of information about yourself, how you grew up, everything like that. And you submit that in writing to them, the police checks, all of that. And then you wait and you wait a long time and they come back to you and they assign a social worker from their agency who then comes out and does the home study based on the package that you submitted. What are they looking for in that package? They really just want to understand, you know, how you guys grew up, what type of parents you are or want to be, whether you're interested in fostering, if you're adopting. Here in Ontario, this home study piece is fairly standardized, whether you're going through foster care, private adoption, international. The home study piece is fairly standardized. It just depends on who you get, if you're getting a private adoption practitioner to do it or whether you're getting a social worker through Children's Aid to do it. And do you pay money? No. So if you're going through Children's Aid, you do not have to pay anything. They do require for a home study in Ontario, you have to do what they call pride training, where you learn about the trauma that these kids have been through, about how, you know, adoption is different than giving birth, the issues that may come up. So it's an education program. So we could have done that through Children's Aid, but we felt we didn't want to wait. And theirs was you had to go weekly for nine weeks, which didn't work with our schedule because we had two small kids. So we ended up doing it privately. So that's the only piece that we really paid for was we privately paid to go do the pride training. And we did it just a crash course in a weekend, two days, eight hours each day. Oh, wow. So you went from nine weeks to... Okay, two weekends. Yeah, two weekends. So it was four eight-hour days. 
So you can do that here in the United States as well. If you are listening for the first time and thinking about foster care, you can hire out to get your training. A lot of people choose to do that. Sometimes they would rather it be a Christian organization that they pay to get the training versus going through the state. So that's an option here as well. And so you guys went through that. And so you were ready, home study ready? Yes. So we were home study ready. Well, after the home study, the visits, we thought, oh, this will be really quick. Nothing is quick in the adoption world is what I've learned. No matter what country, right? Yeah. So as far as our social worker was concerned, her report was ready in December and it wasn't signed by her supervisor until March. So the supervisor has to review it, sign off on it before you can legally at that point. So it was a few months just to even get the paperwork signed. So once that was signed, we were home study ready as of April, it was 2012. And how old were your children, your boys at that time? Um, In 2012, Charlie was six and Adam was seven. So were they excited? They were. They were very excited. (laughs) When you don't know really what you're getting at that age, you're excited. Right, right. The idea is exciting. And they're close (laughs) together in age. Yeah, they're a year and a half apart. Okay, so they knew that you guys were looking for a little girl. Did you say a specific age? Yeah, so we were looking between the ages of one and four. Okay, and how long did they tell you after everything was approved and you jumped through all those hoops, how long were you going to wait on this list? It depends. It depends on what you're looking for, and it also depends on how much legwork you want to do yourself. If you were to just sit back and wait for them to call you, I think it would take a lot longer. What we did is we knew what we wanted, and so we tried to find that. Because really what it is, is ideally Peel would like to place Peel children with their Peel families, but we didn't match with any Peel children right away. So for us, I was like, do we want to sit around? There's other kids all throughout Ontario, not just in our area that could use homes. So that's what I started doing is researching. There's an Adopt Ontario website where they post children who are currently waiting for families. So I registered on that. We reached out for a little girl that was featured on that website. And we actually ended up meeting with her. And we were under the understanding we were the only family meeting with her that day. And that was not the case. There was another family also meeting her that day. Oh, no. Which we didn't know. And we had gone thinking, this is going to go great, you know. Our boys came with us. We hadn't told them that we were thinking of adopting her, but they're smart enough to figure that out, that what's going on. Mm-hmm. And we met with her and we had a great time with her. We met her foster mom. And after, ultimately, they chose the other family, which was devastating to us. How did they tell you? If they did not tell you that you were not the only family coming, then how was that conversation afterwards? So the conversation afterwards, because I asked, because I got there and I could see that there was this other family and it kind of seemed like they were also, it was at an adoption walk. And I was like, I have a feeling these people are here for the same child. <laughs> and so the adoption worker came up to us and said, actually, um, you'll have to wait a little bit longer because there's another family here meeting this child. And at that point, I, I almost said to Chung at that point, let's just go home <laughs> because I felt so almost deceived, right? I'm right. thinking, 
why didn't you tell me this before, right? And they ultimately did choose the other family. So at that point, we had said we would not meet any children or even pursue unless they had already chosen us, that we would submit ourselves and say, you know, we're interested in this child, but don't get us too involved unless you've chosen and said, yes, you are the right family. Because ultimately they chose that other family because they explained to us that she would be a single child there, whereas we already had two kids. And my thinking was, you already knew we had two kids. (laughs) Right. Why did you bring us here in the first place? You, You didn't need to go through all these steps, right? You could have said no to us right away. Who decided that? Her adoption worker. Okay. Okay, so So every child has an adoption worker assigned to them. Every child has an adoption worker, yes. And then they also, so the adoption worker would then get a team together because each child in care has an adoption worker who works on finding them a permanent home. And then they also have a child care worker who's responsible for their day-to-day care. They manage their foster care, their foster home, paying the foster parents, you know, taking them to the doctor, things like that. So my question is, these children are not fostered to adopt. They are already adoptable. They are already adoptable. Everything is relinquished. Yes. Do you have a foster to adopt program? Yes. So originally that's what we were going to go into was the foster to adopt. But at that point, there were no kids in that program or in the age range and the sex that we wanted in Mm -hmm. our area because for foster to adopt the kids would have had to come from our region we were on the foster to adopt list in peel potentially waiting for a call but while we were waiting we kind of explored other options as well and you learn the hard way that your children can't be involved in the hey this might be your sister no it's not exactly yeah no (laughs) yeah that was it. Cause explaining to them why they were just like, I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> they were too young to even understand the process. Right. Right. So also here, what they do is twice a year, all the children's aid societies from across Ontario get together and they have what is called an adoption resource exchange. So any children who are waiting for an adoptive family are presented there. So you can go and it's held in Toronto twice a year, once in April, once in October. And at these resource exchange, you're given a list of all the kids, their names, their ages, their adoption worker contact information. So you can go and see their profiles, talk to their adoption workers, get information on them, and then you can submit your home study to show interest in that child. And then usually after the resource exchange, the Children's Aid Societies go back and they review all the families that showed interest and make what is like a short list of families. And then they choose from the short list ultimately who the family is that they want to adopt this child. That's the avenue we ended up going down. Okay. So did you go to the April one or October one? So we went to both. So in April, we showed interest in a sibling group where we were shortlisted. And actually it was interesting because it was sisters and they... We showed interest and you say you, this is what you want, but then you read these profiles of these kids that are waiting for homes and everything flies out the window and it becomes, no, we could take these kids, right? Mm-hmm. So these girls were the same ages as our boys. <laughs> so we showed interest in them and we were actually shortlisted for them, but ultimately they chose another family and there was another individual child that we showed interest in and we never had any follow-up on her. At that April one, we saw Karina's profile 
and we talked to her adoption worker and we were told at the time that they wanted a native family for her. So we ultimately decided not to put ourselves forward because we're not native. So now I regret that because had we put in for her then, she would have been in our home six months earlier because we ended up going back in October and ultimately showing interest in Karina then. And now she's been with us for four years. Could you have applied, even though they said we want to need a family, could you have said, well, can we just put our profile in? Yes, well, you, you can do that. But at that point, we were so new to the process and we thought, oh, there's going to be tons of families that want to adopt this adorable little girl, right? So we thought, oh, we, we would be ruled out because we're, we're not Native. But now knowing the process and knowing that, you know, there's not families like fighting over adopting these children, we should have done it at that point in time. At some point, weren't you thinking, I can't believe it's this hard? Yes, yes. I was ready to throw in the towel so many times, so many times, just thinking, why do they make it so difficult? Look at all these children who need homes. And when we saw, and even seeing the list from April to October, so many of the kids were the same kids still waiting for home. Right. What was your husband thinking at this time? I'm not really sure. He's a very closed off. (laughs) He's not like a touchy-feely, sharing his feelings type of guy. But you could see he had some anger and he kind of just went on with what I was experiencing and what I wanted. And he was like, well, we can do it. We can stop. And he was very supportive of both. And actually for him, I said, you know, maybe we should not go on because I said this is too emotionally draining, especially when we weren't chosen for that child. It's, it's becoming too much. And he said, you know what? We have a home. We have something to give. We have more to do. And he was actually the one that got me to continue going. Really? Because he felt that we could share, we had something more to give in our home, that we had a great home. And even though they didn't pick us, because I was starting to doubt it, I was like, well, they didn't pick us for this kid. Is there something wrong with us as parents? Like, is it wrong to have other children in the house? You know, like, are they going to always look at us and go, well, you have two kids already. These kids need to be single children. And he was the one saying, we have something to give. We have a great family and we can give a child a great home. So he was actually kept me going. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we have to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to hear how you actually connected with Karina. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We're going through some changes at Adoption Now. We're working on a new website and changing around our podcast just a bit. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. Today we're talking to Andra from Canada, and she's telling her adoption story. They're trying to bring home this little girl that's out there. They know she's out there, but they keep applying to the foster care system in Canada and People keep choosing other families for these other children. And so they're feeling pretty defeated. And her husband, Chung, 
says, no, we're going to keep going. At some point, were you thinking, Andra, maybe it's because he's not Canadian and everyone can tell? At times, yes. From the beginning, they kept saying to us, well, we want to place an Asian child with you because Chung has Chinese heritage. But it's to me, it's like these kids need homes. It, it doesn't so much matter what the ethnicity is of the parents. We're great parents, and we're ready to parent any child that you want to place with us. Okay, so you keep going forward. You're, is this April now, and you wait till October? Yeah, we go in October, yep. And what happens there? So in October, I wasn't available. So what Chung did is since we had done this before, he's like, all we need to get is the profiles. We can review the profiles, and then there's contact information for the adoption workers. So what he does is he goes there, he got the list, he highlighted every girl between the age of one and four, he went around to all the adoption workers, said, just give me the profiles, and he brought them home. We reviewed the profiles, a lot of them were ones we had already seen before, and none of the kids really spoke to us from the profiles that he brought home. But there were three on the list that he wasn't able to get profiles for, for whatever reason. So at that point, we reached out to our social worker and said, can you find these profiles? We gave her the contact information and she reached out to the adoption workers for those children. What happened was we waited and we waited a few weeks and then all of a sudden our social worker got back to us and said, there's this little girl, Karina, her adoption worker just got back to me. She had been on vacation. They're having a shortlist meeting next week. Here's her profile. Let me know if you're interested. I open up the email and I see the profile and I still have the booklet from the April one and I still have it today with her picture on it. And I said, Chung, that's the same kid that we didn't put in for last time that they said they wanted a native family. And we read the profile and we said, okay, we got to do it. Right. So I emailed back our social worker and I said, yep, put us in and we'll see what happens. So we waited the week and biting our nails. And then they got back to us and said that the meeting had gone well and that we were their top choice for a family for Karina. Wow. When you say native, what does that mean? She's Cree. So in Canada, we call it Aboriginal people. So her birth family is Aboriginal and they can live on reserves here. So that's where her birth mother is from, is from a native reserve in Northern Ontario. Okay. Because when you see pictures of her, she fits right into your family. Yeah. Yes, she does. <laughs> I mean, she looks like your other children. Yeah, she does. Except she's really tall and we're all really short. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So they get back and they say, she's available. You've been chosen. Where was she? Was she in a foster home? Yeah. So she was in a foster home. She had actually just moved foster homes a few months before. So she had been in one foster home from birth and she moved foster homes and she was now in a new foster home. So at that point, we had a call with her adoption worker, her childcare worker and her foster mom and got to ask all of our questions, you know, asking, you know, what does her daily routine look like? What are her struggles? Because she had a lot of global delays. So That went really well. We got to ask, how does she interact with other children? She was in a foster home with six children, and four of them were two and under. Oh, my goodness. How old was she? She was two, two Two, and a half. Two and a half. Yeah. 
Wow. So it was crazy. Just even having the phone call, you can hear the chaos in the background in the foster home (laughs) where the phone call was taking place, right? And at this point, we hadn't told anybody because we were like, no, we're on this solo until they say for sure Mm -hmm. she's ours. So once they did tell us and we had had our um, teleconference with the group of them and we had said, yeah, we would like to adopt her at Christmas, we told my immediate family and that, that is it. And we didn't extend it past the immediate family until we made concrete plans to actually go and physically see her. What was that transition like for her? So we, the funny thing is, is we went to meet her We scheduled a flight out to fly out and back the same day to visit her just to meet her because they wanted us to meet her because there had been another family who had been interested in adopting her, met her and decided after the meeting that they weren't going to adopt her. So on their end, they wanted to be sure we were in it. So they wanted us to physically meet her face to face. So we flew out. We flew for a few hours and then the pilot came on and said, there's freezing rain, we can't land. So we flew back to Toronto. What? (laughs) Yeah. We didn't even get to meet her. That's (laughs) They turned around and flew you all the way back? Yeah. Yeah. We literally were in the air for about three hours, and then we circled for 45 minutes, and then we came back. I would have had the worst anxiety. Oh, it was terrible. A three-hour flight or whatever goes to six hours? Mm -hmm. My gosh. I would have been the lady on airplane where everyone's lining up to slap her. Because she's going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So disappointing. And at that point, I was like, we can't do this again because I can't get on a flight again just to. So I said, we have to do something else. So that was a Friday. The following Monday, what we did was we met via Skype and we saw her in her foster home. We chatted with her foster mom and her adoption worker were there and we got to see her running around in her comfort zone. And they had actually had the other foster kids out for the day. So it was it was just her. And the adults, and I could just, in her, she was struggling to put a sock on. And I was like, it doesn't matter whatever her delays are. She was determined to get that sock on. (laughs) And I saw the determination in her. And then that's exactly who she is today. Did you know right away that's your daughter? Yeah, you could, you just, you did. You just knew. I, I was like, that, that is, that's the kid who we're meant to have, right? And after that, we Skyped back and forth regularly until we finally met her. That was mid-January. We Skyped for the first time and we flew to meet her in person was the end of February. And did you bring her home then? No. So what we did is we had one trip where it was Chung and I stayed in her hometown and we would be in the foster home the first day, just met for a few hours. Well, we got to take her to the hospital that day too because she had a severe chest infection. So we jumped right into parenthood day one. So we visited and then day three of that visit, she stayed in the hotel room with us. So we were back and forth. We were there, I think, four days the first visit. Then we came back home. We were home for two days and then she flew here with her foster parents and stayed here with us for three days while her foster parents were here. So she would visit with her foster parents at first and then she stayed at the hotel with foster parents. And she'd come to our place. And I think it was night two. She spent her, a night in her room here at our house. So they were in Mississauga for three days. And then they went back. And then I think it was three days later, we drove up there 
with our boys. It's a nine-hour drive. We drove there. Wow. And we spent three or four more days there visiting and her staying with us in the hotel. And then ultimately we brought her home on March 17th. Now, did she go right to you? How did she respond to the boys? Um, so at the, our first meeting, she was so sick. So she was just lying on the couch with a high, high fever. But you could tell she recognized us from Skyping. So she didn't back away from us or anything. She was comfortable, but hesitant. But within a little while, she was playing with us and showing us around because she was getting all this attention. She's used to being one of six kids. Mm -hmm. And here are two people who are giving her all this attention, right? She loved it. And with the boys, she liked them just fine at the beginning. (laughs) Our middle boy, Charlie, struggled with the transition because he was a baby for six years. (laughs) Right. And here's this kid coming in and taking his spotlight, right? Was there ever a moment when you thought... What are we doing? There was lots of moments <laughs> that we experienced, what are we doing? And that was more after she got home and the reality set in is that we're responsible for this child and she's got a lot of issues and we, we weren't prepared at all. And, and you think you're prepared. You do all this reading and you, and you think, oh, trauma, absolutely, I get it. But until you're living it, mm-hmm. you have no clue what it's really like. She would have tantrums that lasted 40 minutes and that could be three times a day when we first adopted her. (laughs) She screamed to get all of her needs met at the beginning Mm. and we had never experienced that with our boys and they had never seen a child react in that way. So it was, it was traumatic. Their quiet world was so loud now. And I bet that's how she got attention in the foster home is whoever could scream the loudest, Mm -hmm. whoever could be, you know, the squeaky wheel. And so that's what she was doing with you. Did she talk? No, no. She was two and a half when we brought her home, but she was developmentally more the level of about a nine month old baby, except nine month old babies can't walk around and grab things and, (laughs) you know, they're stationary. Right. So it it was difficult because she had zero words. She was extremely delayed in her communication techniques, even pointing, waving, that was all delayed. So our first heavy hitter for her was we don't scream. Screaming was a zero tolerance. We don't respond to screaming. So we tried to teach her some simple sign language so that she could get her needs met. So it was we don't help you unless you sign for help. And we don't give you more unless you sign for more. So you know, it was basic stuff, but we got her right into speech and developmental therapies as soon as she got home with us. She had been on a waiting list for almost two years <laughs> for speech therapy. Wow. And as soon as she got home with us by May, so she came home in March, by May, she was in intensive speech therapy. Wow. And making gains. Right. You yeah. know, it's so hard when you bring home a child because your instinct is to love them, right? Hold Mm -hmm. them, cuddle them. If they're screaming, you just get them what they need because you want them to connect with you and not be afraid. And it sounds like right away you put some boundaries up. Do you think that was helpful? Was that hard? It was absolutely, it was hard. It was very hard because she needed a black and white world and we had to provide a black and white world for her because everything, she needed the parents to be in charge And even sometimes Chung and I would disagree on where the boundary had to be because 
Chung was like, no, she's not allowed in the kitchen because it can't be safe for her. And that was where his boundary, he wanted the boundary to be. And I disagreed. I said, but I always let Adam and Charlie come and be at my feet when I'm cooking and things. And he goes, well, it's not safe for her. Mm -hmm. It needs to be black and white. (laughs) And it ended up being that the wonderful adoption therapist we ended up bringing in to help us with the transition. She said, sometimes you have to go with just black and white. And that's what's going to help her because she will ultimately learn to know what you mean, that you're in charge, and she can let her guard down to let you be in charge. Children want parents to be in charge. Mm -hmm. That is something that we emphasize all the time in adoption is that Mm -hmm. I know it feels like you have these strong boundaries, but keeping to them makes them feel safe and they haven't had that before and they've been in charge and they don't want to be in charge. And so when you give them control, they're ultimately really mad at you and they will lash out and they will get under your skin because they want you to parent them. They need parents. Mm -hmm. And so really being taught that and having somebody come in your house and help you. I mean, when you told me that, it just made me feel like so many families are afraid to reach out because they don't want people to know they're struggling or they want people to think that their love is enough. And it's not really about you. It's about giving the child what they need. And sometimes we don't know what that is. And so someone has to come in and help us. Now, you said that your daughter really struggled with your husband more. Yes, she did. And she didn't attach to Chung at all. for the first, It was at least six months and she was still very resistant. When we brought the therapist in, she did an assessment where you go through some, she videotapes it because so she's not in the room. It's just Chung and I and Karina. And there's just simple activities you're going to do. She had to do with each parent. And I actually rewatched the video yesterday and you watch it. And now I see, I can totally see the disconnect between her and Chung. She wouldn't even look Chung in the eye. One of the activities was to sing a song so with me, we sang the ABCs, and she's looking right at me the whole time. She's holding my hands. She's looking. She's trying to sing and say the words. When Chung tried to do the wheels on the bus, she just stood there, blank, stare. And he's singing along. He's trying to do the actions. When I joined in at the end of the song, she started doing the actions with me. But the whole time it was just Chung singing, she stood there with a blank stare on her face like she had never heard the song before. That is so interesting because most of the time children will bond quickly to the father. Mm -hmm. And so something in her made her just completely shut down. Yeah. So how did they connect? How did this therapist help you? So the therapist, she would come once a week and work with Chung and Karina only. I was not allowed to be home during these sessions. So she would come and it was bonding activities. One I remember specifically is Chung was supposed to hold her like a baby and uh, feed her. We used a juice box because she didn't take bottles at this point. So it was a juice box, but he was supposed to be the one holding the juice box and she was just supposed to be drinking out of the straw. And it took a number of sessions before she would relinquish control and stop grabbing at the juice box to hold it herself where she would not look him in the eye. She would start drinking it, but she'd be turned away, even though he's holding her. So they did this many times, and there would be the activities of rubbing lotion on each other and singing together and just basic things that you would do with a baby. Mm -hmm. And it helped. 
She's attached. It did. And she, the one thing I always remember her saying to us is you have to fake it till you make it. So, you know, Chung took over bedtime. And to this day, Chung puts her to bed mm. every night, unless he's not around. But he puts her to bed. So every night he would give her a bath, read her stories, tuck her into bed. And that was their time without me there. And it had to forge it. But even though she started letting down her guard, I'd say about six months in, it still took longer. And even to this day, she still, if you ask my boys who they love more, they will say, I love you both the same. Karina goes, I love mommy more. <laughs> still. But your husband <laughs> is so fact about it. committed. I mean, I think that that is really notable. And in adoption, both parents, you have to be so committed and if you are going into it just thinking, I just want to parent a child and it's going to be great, but you don't have that backbone to be very committed, it's going to eat you alive. Because if that child comes in and rejects your love, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that's really difficult to understand is that my son, I've had him since birth and he's been stung by a bee. And so when he sees bees, it's a trigger for him. Like he can't function. It's so strange. We're like, that bee is so far away or we've killed it, but he's panicked because of the bee. Well, I can go back and say, well, explain to somebody, he got stung by a bee and this is kind of what we're working through. But when you have two and a half years or three years or four years or however long you didn't have your child, you don't know what those triggers are. You have no idea. And so if a child sees a male influence and something triggers in them, you have to work through that and guess. And that's what makes it really a commitment is because you're like, I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know where this is really stemming from, but I'm willing to work through it with them, even though I have no memory of what's going on. I don't know. You're just in the dark. And, that's exactly it. you know, it just takes a really strong parent to say, I'm going to just continue day in and day out. I will give her the juice box until she lets me do it. It almost makes me want to cry because Mm -hmm. that is loving a child that has been through trauma is every day you just show up. You don't know what she's going to put you through. You don't know how she's going to respond. It could be in a grocery store and all of a sudden they lose control and you have to be committed to parenting the way that you've been taught, the way that you believe is right for her, what makes her feel safe. Even if other people are like, what's going on there? You have to be true to the child. Oh, yeah. So many times we've been out in public and people look at me or Chung and go, they must be crazy because we are. We have to parent her with structure. It has to be black and white for her. It doesn't matter that I'm at the grocery store. This is what we would do at home. This is what we do here. You're going to sit down. You're going to calm yourself down. We're not talking until you stop your screaming. Does she still scream? Very rarely. Very rarely. I actually had a meeting at the school today and I said, since she's left we had one meltdown that lasted two minutes. Wow. And Adam and Charlie? Yeah, they're good now. Uh, Charlie really, really struggled for a while. He was like, send her back. <laughs> yeah. Send her back. I don't want her. She's ruined my happy little life here. And now I'd say to look at the three of them, they love each other as brothers and sisters should. Adam is the big protective brother who steps up and he's starting to babysit her and he knows exactly what she needs. He advocates for her. 
And Charlie is the one that can get down on her level and keep her entertained for hours. And that was not the case. From the beginning, Charlie and Karina needed some therapy too, (laughs) together. Similar to Chung's and Karina's, but with Charlie, he was offended because she couldn't say his name. She didn't have a name for him. She had a name for me and Chung and Adam, but she didn't have a name for Charlie. So we sat them down and Charlie had M&Ms and we would say, Karina, you need to say Charlie. And she couldn't say Charlie, but she had her version. And then he would give her an M&M every time she said Charlie. And we would sit there and we did that a few times. And then he calmed because she now had a, a special name for him. I love and that, he Andra. Felt that she had accepted him. Because you took it seriously. You took Charlie's desire to want his special name. You took it seriously. You didn't just say, right. well, she doesn't know how to say your name. Moving forward, right. no, you took it seriously and you gave them what they needed to connect. Yes. And you gave them those tools. And maybe you didn't have those tools, but you found somebody that could teach those tools. And so you were willing to step aside and get your children the help that they needed. One of the things I loved that you told me also is when Adam had a breakdown. He was the strong older brother. Mm -hmm. And at one point he had a breakdown. Mm -hmm. He did. He had a massive breakdown and he had held it together. Like Charlie was just like center back, center back, center back. And Adam just went about his life. And then it was probably, I think it was in June. So she came home in March and it was in June and Adam lost it. And I've never seen him lose it. (laughs) He lost it. And for two hours, just flailing and screaming. And he was just not happy. And his internal struggle was, I know she's better off here, but I really don't want her here right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we had to give him permission to say that. And it was okay that Charlie said send her back every day because those were his six-year-old emotions. Right. And Adam couldn't say that because he saw where she came from and he knew that she was better off here and he knew she was doing so great, but he wasn't feeling great about it. But once we gave him permission to say, it's okay to say that you're not happy. It's okay to say she drives you crazy and you don't like what's going on right now because none of us at that point in time liked what was going on. And it's not that we didn't love Karina and think that she was doing great. We all knew that she was better off with us, but at that point in time in that transition, it was driving us all crazy. Just being honest with how you're feeling is so important for children. And it's really important for your children to see you feel that way and express how you're feeling in a healthy and constructive way. And it's really important for your children to see your commitment because it sounds like Adam was committed. I mean, he was saying, I don't want her to go back. I saw where she came from, but I'm struggling here. And I'm okay with feeling both of those things because you were okay with feeling both of those things. You were teaching them just how to love their sibling. And I think that that's really important in adoption is really bringing the family together by just being honest. Yeah, that's it. And you have to be honest about where they came from too with Karina, like what her birth family was like and where she came from and being open and honest so that she can deal with that and learn a little bit at a time so that she's not hit with it like a ton of bricks when she's 16. Andra, thank you so much for coming on Adoption Now. I really could talk to you all day because I think... I, I enjoyed it. The so way that I you're... love sharing our story because it's not just the sunshine and rainbows. It's not, but you have a lot of joy in your family as well. Yes. Through the difficult times. And so you're just able to communicate that so clearly. And I just appreciate you being honest and 
and coming on the show and all the way from Canada. This is so awesome. So thank you. And I'm going to post a picture of your family because I'm sure everybody's like, well, I got to see this little girl now that fits into their family. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.